1: Welcome to The Mandalorian Podcast. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away.
2: I'm David. I'm John. And this is our coverage of the Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian Season 3.
1: In this podcast, we're going to be doing a scene-by-scene breakdown of the second episode of the season, Chapter 18, The Minds of Moria. Uh, I mean, The Minds of Mandalore. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about the rest of our schedule for the month of March.
2: One of our favorite things about podcasting is getting your feedback. We love to hear fan theories, pickups on details we might have missed, and to hear what folks are thinking about the episodes and season overall. You can send us feedback in two ways. Email us at starwars@thelorehounds.com or leave a voicemail to be played on air at TheLoreHounds.com slash contact. And we'll get to those on the next episode.
1: But if you want to talk Star Wars with us sooner, join us over on our Discord server, link in the show notes below. We've got a great, fun little community, and we're having a good time over there. So join us.
2: Yeah. A quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and want to support us directly, check us out on patreon.com slash the lorehounds for just $3 a month. You can get ad-free versions, early access, bloopers, and more.
1: Of course, you can get all of our ad-supported podcasts on our Firehose feed by searching for The Lorehounds on your podcast application of choice, or using the cool little subscription tool that we have over on thelorehounds.com. Just put in the application you listen to your podcasts on, and it will generate
2: the link for you. That's almost as high-tech as a back to tank. Lastly, we'd like to ask that if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Even better is if you can leave us a short review, letting others know what you enjoy about our coverage. There's a lot of people covering this show, and the ratings really do have an impact on our rankings, which helps us get more listeners for our podcast, which means we can make more podcasts. And
1: uh, many of you have been leaving us ratings and reviews, so thank you if you have done that. We've noticed it, and it's really helped. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. Every time I open the podcast app, I see more.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a fun little... Uh, little boost when you see a, a good rating and a nice comment. All right, John, what did you think of uh, episode two or otherwise known as chapter 18?
2: Now that I am in my watch the Saturday morning cartoon mode, I am <laughs> all in on this season. I think it's a blast. I'm having fun. Even the cheesy parts are making me chuckle and I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm on board with Mando and Grogu In this little fighter, if there's room for me, maybe they'll put on a a John Lorehound port instead of a droid port. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, it looked beautiful. I think you were saying that to me earlier. The the lore bits were great, having the Mythosaur in there. Oh my God. This was, it was just all hype, right? This is, yeah, this is the fun hype part of Star Wars. This is not Andor where you're going to have deep drama. This is that sugary cereal that we're all going to enjoy.
1: Right. Isn't it fun to have it too? I I love having both.
2: It is. David, what did you think about it?
1: Dare I say, I, I don't know if I should say this, but it was almost a perfect episode of television, just in terms of its construction, right? The way that the plot points were set up, the way they paid off, how they hooked and linked the different things going forward. It w- And all within like 30, 35 minutes, I forget how long, what the actual runtime was, but it was, it's a tight little story, but it's packed. And to do that, you've got to be efficient and you have to be on the ball and know exactly what you're trying to do in the story. And that was almost perfect. I think the only thing that went a little long for me was the stuff with Pelimoto at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, the Grogu Mando stuff was tight. I got a lot of D&D vibes from this one, too. I felt like they were doing like a a dungeon crawl. It it felt very uh, Tolkien in some ways, too. Okay, You know, there were some shots where you're like, oh, that looks like the Mines of Moria, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Beautiful, gorgeously shot episode. Uh, It looks like they're back in the volume for a bunch of this stuff, which is great. I love the fact that they can go between practical sets. And outdoor sets and the volume, I think that's really cool. It, um, when you're in, a, in that cave or you're in the, in the ruins in the underground area, and the way that, that the colored light reflects off of Mando's armor and stuff, like that's just beautiful and it just adds to the realism. So mm, really very happy with the, the visual aspects of the show. Um, good, sharp action, like it was punchy, we got it done, we moved on. Grogu continues to be cute as all get out, like his little coos and and uh, waddling around was just like, you know, adorable.
2: I think he was extra vocal this episode.
1: He was. He, he definitely was extra vocal. I think they're building that up. And uh, I think the one thing that I really noticed too here was there was a, a bit of a theme in this episode, which is sort of overcoming your fears and moving forward. Um, and that played out a couple of times in a couple uh-huh. of the scenes, so... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was, a, it was a, like you said, it's get your jammies on, get a bowl of cereal, curl up on the couch and, and hit play and uh, have some fun.
2: Yeah. I've been up basically at the premiere time lately at 3 uh-huh. a.m. with my son, so oh, dear I've, just, I've just <laughs> been watching it like right away and I'm, I'm having nice. a blast in the middle of the night. I'm half, I'm half awake. I watch mm-hmm. it again later when I'm fully conscious, but it's kind of, it's kind of fun to watch it in that twilight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> For sure. All right, anything else, or should we jump into the. Uh, well, actually, before we jump into the scene by scene, I've got a few pickup details I want to get from episode one. That you are do? Hold over. I do. Okay. Boodoo. Th- this one, Voodoo. Keep going. Um, Headcanon. Um, Children of the Watch. They were on a new planet that they weren't so familiar with, which is why they didn't know about the alligator. Okay. Uh, also, because they had so many. Maybe that there are more children of the watch just scattered around and they're all not with the armorer directly. Maybe there's other cells of children of the watch throughout, you know, the rims. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah. Um, Navarro is going to be in trouble. Yep. Right? I think that was a pretty clear setup. Right. Agreed. Nice town nice you got there, uh, high magistrate. The opening scene ceremony with the young boy... I really, uh, the more I thought about it, the, really, uh, m- the more I liked it, because it set up on purpose a tension between Din's heart and his head. So it, showing us the ceremony of putting that helmet on and leaving it on forever really uh, contrasts the fact that Din, who took his helmet off purposefully, has to then, you know, rectify that and, and deal with that in some way. And so I thought that that was a really nice piece of meta-storytelling, or meta-context storytelling. And, you know, we, can we the audience, can understand and sympathize with Din why he took his helmet off. And so we feel kind of aggrieved for Din, going like, well, that was a valid reason for taking your helmet off, right? Like, that was his son, and he's not going to see him anymore, and like, what's the big deal? But, you know, it's the creed, and and as Din says, you know, in this one, if we don't have the creed, you know, what is it that we stand for? So uh, I really liked how that opening ceremony set up that whole tension between uh, what is a value set from a creed as opposed to, like, a natural crime where you steal something or murder someone, right? Um, This is more like, no, we can understand it uh, we can understand why Din did it. And so it's, um, it really sets a tone for the rest of the action for the season. Right. And I know you love it when I talk about the human heart in conflict with itself.
2: (laughs) I should make another meme that I made for the Twitter. Yes. (laughs) where I have you just, uh, you know what? I'll do the one where you have two buttons and it'll be like good plot, the human heart in conflict with itself. That'll be the two choices.
1: Very cool. Um, so Din has these two poles, Bo-Katan versus the Armorer, right? He's got you know, uh, this intellectual side that he's you know, coming to understand now, especially with this episode, but then he's got his faith and his creed and his, you know, the, the family that he came from, the children of the Watch, and so we have these two powerful women that are in the polar opposites of Din, and he's caught uh, in that spectrum, like, which way do I go? How do I resolve this? Uh, so I thought it's a great play out of, um, of that classic storyline. Um, another thought I had was, so Grogu's a f- foundling, right? He's a Mandalorian foundling. Yep. And he's a Jedi foundling. And the Jedi youngling, and the Mandalorians right? were the youngling, whatever they call it. Yeah, he's yeah, a young yeah. foundling. So he is his own enemy,
2: <laughs> sure, right? He's, sure. Although although in the Clone Wars era, the Jedi and, and the Mandalorian were, were mostly tight. They were mostly tight.
1: Yeah. But you know, now they're enemies, right? And the armorer says, well, you know, the Jedi's were yeah. these evil
2: Yeah, at, at least the cult considers them right. enemies. I don't know if Bo like Bo even says in this episode, you know, we weren't really enemies all the time. We were actually pretty good buds.
1: But I think this is a really interesting thing, that Grogu is straddling these two worlds. I was joking about right. being his own enemy. So here, here Din has bo and the armor, and Grogu has the Jedi and the Mandalorians. And can they both bridge these two opposites, or can they walk the line between these two forces that are pulling at them, you know, coming, come this way or come that way? How do they... Uh, operate going forward with these um, different demands on their loyalties and their attention and their ways of doing things. So I thought that that was a, a cool little thing.
2: Definitely. I think Bo is really uh, torn, too, I think, by the end of the episode. seems really, yes. really conflicted.
1: Yeah, and, which is great. It is great because uh, we have the surface level fun stuff, monsters and, you know, blasters, but then underneath there's a, a little bit more of an interesting story occurring. Right. And this is uh, this last thought that I had is just a little bit of a, a, a random, interesting idea. I was just like, well, you know, in a way, for both Bo and the armorer, the absence of the planet Mandalore is almost more useful to them than having the planet whole and intact or, or able to, you know, be something that you could go to. Explain. Because you can, you can play off the myth of Mandalore, make Mandalore great again right? Oh, it's a poison planet. We can never go back there, but I'm going to set up my empire and we're going to reclaim the glory of Mandalore. And you know, we're going to do the things that we're going to do. And not having to deal with an actual planet with millions of people and, you know, and, and a place where people can go. And what if, what? oh, hey, everybody, we can come back to Mandalore now. So they all start coming back and they're like... Oh, this place is a dump and it's a, it's trash. And no, but we're going to take it out. You like it causes more problems to have Mandalore as a viable place and a location as not because you have a myth to play against with Mandalore and the purge and the, you know, and the bombing of it. So you've got something that you can be in opposition. Now, you can play off of the stage of oh boohoo Mandalore was destroyed and we're exiles. So, I'm going to bring my little collective together and we're going to be little exiles together. And, you know, whereas if Mandalore was a place you could go to, it would be an entirely different power dynamic. So, Bo Katan and the armor both can create a power dynamic in the absence of Mandalore that plays to their. They can be uh, big fish in a small pond in a way.
2: I will say that. The whole make Mandalore great again thing you said, <laughs> that is not something Sorry. that was absent from Mandalorian politics, even when it was populated. Okay. That was certainly part of Death Watch, sure. big part of Death Watch. That was probably its main focus. It was, let's go back to the ancient ways. And right. it seems like Children of the Watch either arose from that or was a sister organization. Uh, everybody was on Concordia, apparently, we found out. So... It's definitely part of Mandalorian culture to have these factions that are like, hey, let's go back to the old ways. But, yeah, I see what you're saying is that, you know, the myth might be more powerful than the actual thing.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think that's what I was trying to drive at. So. All right, cool. Uh, that's it for my thoughts. Should we get into the scene by scene? Let's do it. Okay. In the previously, previously on, there's like a really, really big reveal. <laughs> The, the armor, they, they actually, there's a very prominent line where the armor talks about the mythosaur. And I was like, oh, why are they giving us that line? And there's a reason.
2: They're going to spoon feed it to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if we really should call these cold opens because this action happens before the title card. But it's just a title card. It's not even like opening credits. So I True. don't know. The cold open. Um, on Tatooine, it's Pod Racing Day in Mos Eisley as part of the Bunta Day Celebrations. A well-dressed Rodian negotiates with Pelimoto to fix his speeder. Turns out that Pelly is in cahoots with some Jawas, and they're running a fix-it scam.
2: That's pretty bad, huh? Yeah, <laughs> they've got the catalytic converter. Yes,
1: that's exactly, and they're going to sell it right back to them.
2: <laughs> I was a little shocked. I think that's the most—that's the most shady we've ever seen Pelimoto be.
1: You know that she's got to operate in the margins, and that's fine. You're cutting some corners on some deals and stuff like that, but. To like straight up strip parts and then sell them back, that's, that's criminal. That's criminal. It
2: sure is. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that if uh, Boba Fett found out about that, he would let that fly in his territory.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, certainly, uh, Cobb Vanth wouldn't be too happy with that, I'm sure.
2: That's true. Sheriff, Sheriff Vanth is really just going to come into town, right into town. We found out in the post credit scene of Book of Boba Fett, by the way, if you missed that, that Cobb Vanth is alive and was, was in the back, back to, to tank, tanked. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think this is the one scene that went on slightly too long. I I didn't need as much of it as as possible, but whatever. It was fine. Bunta Day. Uh, I checked the Wikipedia. It's a celebration of Bunta, uh, of a hut named Bunta Hestilic Shadru and their ascension to godhood. Oh. And so it's kind of a Christmas day. Type of celebration. You know, it's analogous to. Yeah, I think maybe that's right. Yeah, Easter's probably a better one because it's about ascension, not about resurrection. Right, right. So, and so, yeah, they do pod racing and um, uh, fireworks and all that kind of stuff.
2: Cool. That sounds fun.
1: Din and Grogu fly in, and Grogu leaps into Pelly's arms like a lureman. Grogu utters something like a word. Mando asks after a replacement IG 11 memory circuit. Pelly sells him on purchasing the R5-D4 Astromech unit.
2: Do you think that we're done with the IG-11 plotline?
1: I don't think so. I hope not. That would have been a huge amount of setup for um, a fall through this big.
2: Yeah, agreed. But it was weird that Mando kind of just agreed to take Mm -hmm. the R5-D4. I feel like that's not in his character to do that. Maybe you could okay. argue that he's desperate to get back to Mandalore, so he's like, whatever. Whatever gets me back there now.
1: I think that's it. I think he's, he's not allowing any small circumstances like these to uh, get in his way. And if the R5 unit can do the atmospheric sensor you know, readings that he needs to get done, you know, fair enough. Splunking, it didn't—the <laughs> R5 wasn't going to do any splunking, but— No. At least if he could check out the surface of Mandalore. But I don't think we're going to be done with the R five or the uh, IG eleven plotline.
2: No, but I think R five is around for a while too.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, and they put back in his um, uh, droid port in the in the N one. So right. You know, that's you know, we, yeah, that's that's a significant thing that's not going to be going away anytime soon. Right. I thought it was a funny line about Boba Fett. She's like, "Oh, you're here to take out you know the hut's back. Oh, you're here to take out Boba Fett."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just everybody's just casual about it here. They're like, oh yeah, some another crime lord's gonna kill the current one. Yeah, <laughs> that's business right. as usual.
1: So this R five is the R five unit that was in the original seventy seven A New Hope movie. Okay, really? As that's my understanding. Because there was a comment about him fighting in the rebellion and um, you know all that stuff. So I'm pretty sure that this is supposed to be that same droid.
2: Interesting. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's a member, berry of a pretty big size, but it didn't, they didn't play it badly. They didn't overplay it, you know? They didn't have it like pop its motivator when it was driving along or anything like that, you know, right out of the scene of the, of the first movie. So I can deal with these in-world things as long as they're not, like, really shoving it in our faces. Like, remember the 77 movie? Remember the 77 movie? You know? So. Right. Do you know much about Lerman? I do not. Okay. They were in the Clone Wars. Okay. A couple of episodes. They're sentient uh, species that are force sensitive. And I think they might be this, like, kind of a large size lemur, and they're able to jump and roll up in a ball and move around. So when she says, uh, we're not only calling him a Lerman for...
2: Oh, I recognize them. I just looked them up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there was a whole, like, thing about them being pacifists and...
1: Mm Mm-hmm, Yeah. So not only is Grogu physically jumping like them, but apparently they were force sensitive. So like that's a double, a double little uh, comment there.
2: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. All right. Peli says she'll remodify the N1's droid port. Grogu and Din take off amid fireworks.
2: Did you think this was a little cheesy?
1: A little bit. It felt like somebody at the mouse was like, hey, let's have some fireworks over the Magic Castle and you can fly Grogu and, and Din through them.
2: I was waiting for when you wish upon a star to start playing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was very silly.
1: All right. They fly into the Mandalore system and Din teaches Grogu about more about astro navigation. We learn more about Din's childhood and Din relates to Grogu as a Mandalorian.
2: Uh, yeah, you you said it right. Is that Mando Din is starting to really talk to Grogu like a Mandalorian? Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, this is our homeworld. Yep, I think that's super interesting. Write in if you are a big Star Wars lore person. Do you know of any non-human Mandalorians in in the history? Because I don't. I have not seen one, but I could be missing something.
1: That's interesting. But by Creed, he's a Foundling.
2: Right, yeah. Uh, you know, they, it said at some point, you know, Mandalorian isn't a race, it's just a, a people. Right. And, yeah, I'd love to know if there are more non-human Mandalorians around.
1: I wonder if it's, could, I mean, it's, because it's also a planet, and, but if it's a creed, is it like saying, like, oh, I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a, you know, a Unitarian, or well, a Catholic, Well, I, I don't or... think
2: that the Mandalorians were native to Mandalore. I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure they colonized it.
1: Right. Well, the great men, yeah, right? There's a deep, deep history about the, the Mandalorian Prime. Right. Well, I, I can't remember his name now. The, the Mandalore, or whatever. The yeah. Mandalore, right, yeah, beating the Mythosaur. Right. So a lot of this was set up for later, like showing us the radar scope and all that kind of stuff so that um, Grogu could get back to uh, Bo-Katan in, in the emergency situation. So it's good setup, right? It, it, yeah. It introduced us to the technology and the mechanics that we need to move the plot forward. Right. But it also didn't seem extemporaneous in the point of, like, it would be something that Din Djarin was doing that was not normal or natural for him to do.
2: Right. It just felt like he was sort of initiating Grogu a little bit.
1: Yeah. And then it worked great for, as a plot mechanic for us to set up for later. Right. All right, they enter the atmosphere, and we get some great scenes of the ruined surface of Mandalore. Then they set up the, the uh, constraint that the radiation is interfering with communications.
2: So this is really like a horrifying sight. I mean, mm-hmm. if you watch the Clone Wars, which, again, if you're going to listen to our Ahsoka preview series, we're going to be doing the Siege of Mandalore, and you're going to see a ton of Mandalore at its height, at the peak of its civilization, ruled by a pacifist uh, leader for a long time, and finally taken over by a, a crime syndicate. and it is such a stark difference, but it it really does feel like echoes of that civilization, and I love that they did that because it it made me mourn it. You know, it made me, as someone wow. who spent a lot of the, a lot of time in the Clone Wars, there feel sad that the beauty of the civilization is just gone.
1: Um, the visuals that they created of the uh, devastated surface, though, were beautiful in their own right from a CGI you know uh, point of view. The lighting was gorgeous. The the Horizonscapes were just beautiful in that, in just a really horrific way, but just dramatic and moody, and yeah, it you was, know, in the same way moodless.
2: the cordyceps is beautiful.
1: <laughs> exactly. I think the cord doesn't the cordyceps love
2: doesn't it love its
1: it kind loves. and it the takes last of us of
2: every week on our feet. <laughs> we're almost done. It's true. One more episode.
1: It was good. It's been good. Right. Mando kicks the R5 unit out onto the surface and sends it off to analyze a cave entrance. They watch R5's radar blip disappear, which sends Din out to go look for it.
2: As soon as he was looking at the radar, I was expecting that to happen. I used to play a lot of Halo. I used to play Uh a lot of Halo. And when somebody goes off the radar and you didn't hear any gunshots, you better be afraid.
1: Right. Very afraid. But that's what I mean when I was saying before about, like, is this a perfect episode of television? Because all of the setups all pay off, and we all understand, and uh, the little visual cues of things like this, we know what it means. And they don't don't stretch it out or try to make it more complex than it is. R5's radar blip disappears. All right, so, you know, Mando's got to go look for it. We know that Mando's going to get, you know, something's going to happen to Mando. He's going to get attacked. He's going to fall in a hole, whatever. It's the setup, and it plays off beautifully. They do it very simply, and they keep it simple.
2: Yeah. The sound here, when Uh he had the Darth Vader breathing going on. Yeah. (laughs) That was kind of, it it kind of gave me anxiety, you know? Oh, really? It was like, oh, man, it's the Vader sound. What's going to (laughs) happen?
1: That's funny. Um, And they didn't overplay it, though, either. They didn't make it too heavy.
2: It was a couple seconds, really.
1: Yeah. Which then sets the mechanic for that their helmets seal. Right. We know that Grogu's got an internal pod that he can seal himself into now. And then certainly it set up the baddies, you know, coming in the cave, which we get a couple of those.
2: Right. Yeah. I think that the so I think that the clones might have used this technique of sealing the helmets in the clone wars, either them or the Imperial Troopers at some point. And I'm pretty sure the time was limited. But they were also I think they used it to go into atmosphere. Into, sorry, uh-huh. into no atmosphere, into, into like open space. So I don't know the logistics of this. I think we're going to go rule of cool with it. If we need him to breathe underwater or breathe in a, in a toxic right. atmosphere, then <laughs> that's what we're going to do. He's going to have it as long as he needs it.
1: That's right. As Mando enters the cave entrance, he's ambushed by several creatures, which we learn later are called Alamites. Alamites. <laughs> Boy, I'm, I'm doing good today. He's disarmed, and he has to use the dark saber to defeat the creatures.
2: He's not so great with that thing, huh?
1: No, he he's is mostly
2: not. just kicking people off.
1: Hmm. Yeah, he's having a real. He's not one with it. He's fighting against it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder who could show him how to use it a little better. Yeah, that's
1: right. That's right. I did love the touch, though, of like turning off the saber and then like shoving the one off the cl- the, the cliff
2: edge. That yeah, was that was funny. cool.
1: These are cool-looking monsters, too. Like, there was a mixture of practical and CGI effect, and, uh, yeah, they, they looked awesome. They, you know, the fight was good. It was short, sharp action. Um, you know, Din was getting his butt handed to him a little bit, and he had to, you know, fall back to the Darksaber. It, it, just a nice little setup battle. Uh, I thought it was really well done.
2: Yeah, definitely. It was cool. The, the, did, you, did you like the design of the monsters of the Alamites? I did. Okay. I did. I, didn't, I don't know how I felt about it. I, I could tell it was practical and I appreciated that, but I don't know how I really felt about the design. It was a little clunky to me.
1: Okay. The, um, I like the consistency with the eye colors. Everything down here is got this green, glassy glow to it. Okay. And um, uh, their eyes, their four eyes, have that green glow to them. So I enjoyed uh, that little detail. Um, yeah, I, I thought they were cool. I thought they were good. All right, cool. I got nothing against, you know, there, I, there's nothing, there was nothing that bothered me about him, I should say that. Mando returns to a ship with the R5 unit, and the air samples show that the surface of Mandalore is not toxic. Din realizes that Mandalore is not cursed.
2: Mandalore is not a wasteland.
1: It's good. I think you need to put a line in there about how Bo-Katan was right.
2: No, I will never do that. <laughs> I don't care. She could be, like, ascended to godhood, and I would not put that line in there.
1: Oh, John. Anyway, this is uh, the miseducation of Din Djarin, I think.
2: It's true. Yeah, so bo was right about the surface of Mandalore. Man, that didn't feel good on my tongue. bo <laughs> was right, but is she not? Because, see, I think later mm-hmm. she kind of disagrees with her past self. Like, okay, it might not be cursed, but what's the difference?
1: Right. Yeah, and she points out that um, it's a ruined place now. So and it's just full of ghosts and, and other um, not nice creatures. Uh, so yeah, what is it? It's it's no longer uh, a place where people can inhabit. Like right. even if it, you know, it's to- it's not toxic. But what are we going to do with it? It's a it's a bombed out ruin. Right, There's, you couldn't you know, farm here. Ruined. No. Yeah. Leaving the R five behind, Din and Grogu enter Casa Doom. Uh, I mean the civic center, and they descend <laughs> down to the lower levels.
2: The Civic Center. You know, this kind of reminds me of going through one of the buildings in The Last of Us. You're just you're mm-hmm. just going down. It's a it's a decrepit uh, city building, a decrepit skyscraper, and yeah. So obviously something was going to go wrong. Yeah, it did. You know it. Yeah. yeah.
1: This did. This episode did feel a little video gamey in a couple of points. Okay. Uh, so I didn't
2: get that, uh, but I'm probably desensitized to that.
1: Right. I think Grogu's little pod needs some uh, flames along the
2: side. Oh yeah, I will. I, it was cool though how he was. was able to just float down and follow Din. Totally. Something that I thought was interesting later is that when Bo Katan jumps off and just, she just expects Grogu to go with her, she doesn't even question right. that he could do that.
1: <laughs> well, right, and, and she, uh, I mean, he came he came back, so she must, you know, she thought that she must have thought that he, yeah, could fair do enough. That, so.
2: It would have been kind of funny though if she was like, "Hey, do you need a ride?" And <laughs> right. he goes, "No." He goes, "Ooh," and then he just goes down.
1: Um, how I don't know about you, but I really wanted Din to just like grab a selfie in a puddle once they got down to the bottom and then get out of there. I'm like, <laughs> those are the waters. Those are the living waters. There, that muddy, but that mud puddle that you just landed in—that's good enough. S- splash them on your face and then uh, get the GTFO. <laughs>
2: Well, that's not how it's going to go, is it?
1: No, it certainly didn't. Din finds a helmet buried in the dirt or ash. Uh, looks similar to his. As he's examining it, he is ambushed by Shelob. Uh, I oh, mean, a giant spider-like yourself.
2: mechanical creature. <laughs> if we're going to drop a Tolkien spider, it's going to be Ungoliant. But anyway.
1: All right. The, we later learn that it is piloted by a one-eyed creature of some kind. Captured, Din is taken back to the creature's lair, where he is disarmed. Grogu tries to use his force powers, but is unable to free him. Din commands Grogu to get help from Bo-Katan.
2: You know, I always appreciated the design of General Grievous, and I'm glad that mm-hmm. they sort of brought back that vibe here.
1: Oh, is that the... Okay.
2: Well, you know, General Grievous, he's got... he's got He's an organic being, but he's basically like a bug, and he's inside this mechanical suit, which makes him really beefy. And I think that's basically what we got here, right?
1: I think that makes a lot of sense now. I've only seen a couple of General Grievous episodes, and I can say that I'm not a big fan of the Grievous character.
2: Oh, no. I love Grievous. I Uh, loved Grievous when I was 12 years old and I was watching the original Clone Wars cartoon that was very stylized, and I just thought he was the coolest guy. They did nerf him a little bit in Revenge of the Sith, but it was always very cool. General Kenobi. I loved his voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know what's a funny detail is for the entire Clone Wars cartoon, they can't have Grievous ever meet Anakin. There has to constantly be misconnections because there's one line in Revenge of the Sith where he goes, Anakin Skywalker, you're taller than I expected. And So because of that one line, they had to spend seven seasons making sure that these two characters couldn't meet.
1: That's what you get when you have uh, a cannon, right? You know, yeah. Cannon IP. Yeah, no. Grog. Uh, uh, Grievous was. I. I hate that over the top, especially for a general, right? Who's so you know, uh, over the top evil like that. So was it was. It? It's not my favorite, but I get it.
2: You don't know the power of the dark side, David. I. I
1: don't. I really don't. The and then it makes sense to v- the visual language of this creature. Is calling back to Grievous, and I don't obviously have as much uh, experience with Grievous overall, so I get that now. I can see what um, fans might resonate with, with this creature, because to me it looked like nothing else in the Star Wars universe that I'd you know, okay. really seen. So. No,
2: I immediately thought Grievous.
1: Cool. And then obviously this thing has a little, there's a creature inside a little pod that can attach to different things, so.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: All right, Grogu attempts to escape and is confronted by an uh, Alamite. Grogu uses his Force powers, and R-5 flies them to Kalevala.
2: Yeah, so I did appreciate that they set up the pilot thing. You know, R-5 can pilot the ship, yep. kind of, and enough mm-hmm. to get him to Kalevala. And uh, yeah, it was nice to see Grogu sort of go off on his own and really take agency for a minute.
1: Right, and not just be a helpless little puppet, but can actually right. um, do some stuff. Uh, I thought the little look on Grogu's face... He had a little cute look of surprise after he defeated the uh, analyte, and he was like, oh, you know, it was was really sweet. His
2: His ears were doing the work this episode, I gotta say. For sure. The ears were really going up and down at the right moments. Whoever's doing the puppet work, excellent job.
1: Um, So, does Grogu have a demonstrated affinity for animals more than technology? Like, he wasn't able to free Din from the mechanical contraption that he was in but he was able to defeat this creature quite easily and obviously the mud ho- the mudhorn and the um, the rancor uh, are all things that grogu even though they made him sleepy after you know he he did the work he seems to have uh, he seems to have a bit more of affinity with animals than he does technology do you, do you get that sense or
2: do you want me to lay down some serious internet point bets
1: well this is what I was driving at, because this seems very Ezra-like.
2: It does, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to go with Ezra. I was going to say okay. the idea that Grogu keeps interfacing with these giant monsters.
1: Uh-huh. uh-huh. Now we have the Mythosaur. We have a giant monster.
2: We know that the, the Mythosaur is part of the prophecy of who will retake Mandalore and like lead Mandalore oh. back, to, back to glory. Is Grogu going to be the leader of the Mandalorians? By interfacing with the Mythosaur and taming it?
1: Wow. I, had, I didn't even make that connection because I was going in the opposite direction with the Purgles and Ezra and all that stuff.
2: That's my internet point wager. Grogu okay. interfaces with the Mythosaur at some point.
1: All right. I'm down for that. I'm down for that. I don't know how he could wield the, the um, Darksaber, though. He's just too small to hold that thing.
2: He doesn't even need the Darksaber. He'll just trample you with the Mythosaur.
1: Right, exactly. What, are
2: you going to fight off that thing with the darksaber din? You can't even hold it up.
1: <laughs> That's right. In her bedchamber, I mean throne room, bo is <laughs> notified of an unexpected visitor. She sees the N1 landing and seems annoyed.
2: bo is just so petty.
1: <laughs> she's got a blanket and a pillow there, <laughs> right? So she's totally
2: sleeping there. Yeah, yeah. She's just the crankiest person. As soon as I saw her, I audibly groaned. Really? Yeah, I was, I, because she's, she's just, you know, splayed out on this, <laughs> on this throne, <laughs> just like, Oh, pity me, the deposed leader of Mandalore. It just annoyed me. But she, I think she redeemed herself by the end of the episode. She was pretty good. I won't play my song this episode.
1: All right. It's a good song, though. Go back to last episode if you haven't heard the John song about Bo-Katan. Uh, set to John Denver, Country Road. Katie Sackhoff is dominating this role, though. She owns the Bo-Katan character. Yeah, heart and great. soul. And I am just so, like, I even though I know Bo-Katan has her, like, you know, petty princess thing, pit, pit, p, uh, pity party petty princess, um, say that ten times fast, that that her whole shtick is, like, working on me. I, I would, like, if I ever met Bo-Katan, I would just fanboy all over the place. I'd be like, oh my god,
2: a devotee, we see. You could be in the royal mm-hmm. guard.
1: Yeah, she is looking badass uh, in this armor with her haircut, the whole works. I'm just like loving her look. And um, uh, what's the what's the word? Of, what's what do you call it when somebody somebody's walk, not their gait, saunter, their, um, their saunter, their stride. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's just yeah. she's doing
2: it for me. You could be the first knight of the kingdom of nowhere.
1: I I think I'd just be so in awe of her the whole time that I'd be a
2: useless uh, um, bodyguard. Well, that's okay, because no one's coming to take the kingdom of nowhere.
1: That's true. (laughs) All right. On on the landing pad, Bo-Katan becomes concerned that Grogu is on his own. They download from the R-5 and then fly to Mandalore in her ship, the Gauntlet along with her droid R5 and Grogu.
2: Okay, first of all, this ship was badass. It was great. Yes, Loved mm-hmm. it. I want Din to get one by the end of the season. Okay. If he doesn't, I will riot.
1: The Kormk-class fighter transport, apparently it's all over the Clone Wars.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely been seen before in the animation. I don't recall if it's ever been in live action before.
1: Okay, no, I don't think so. And then her ship is, itself is called the Gauntlet which is a kind of a badass name, too.
2: That is cool. Yeah. Did you think it was a weird shift when she said, let's get rid of him once and for all, and then all of a sudden she goes, where is he, though? You know, if if you want to get rid of him once and for all, then him being missing and in trouble is probably your best option.
1: It's a big heel turn, and I think it's very important. Um, So, you know, when she goes out there, when she says that, I'm like, what, is she going to go shoot him? Is she going to, like, you know, throw thermite grenades at him or something? Um, but she goes out with her helmet in her arms, she doesn't come out with guns drawn or anything, and she's just like, get off my lawn, you stupid kid. And when she sees Grogu, right? We know that that's the heel turn moment, and I think it's because Grogu is there that she turns and as we see over the rest of the episode that Grogu is starting to charm her. So I think Like, if it had been another droid, if it had just been a droid in there or some other person who was going along with Din, I don't think she would have responded the way that she did. I think this is very much about Grogu.
2: I actually took it as you and I being in the same family, the Mandalorians, can Uh have infighting as much as we want. But the minute Mm. someone outside the family messes with you, I'm there for you, brother.
1: Mm, Interesting. Even though they're, right. Yeah. Even though all their history with the dark saber and the children yeah. of the watch and all of that kind of stuff interesting okay yeah cool. i like like that too.
2: i i think that she has her squabble with him in the family but they keep it in the yeah. family
1: okay i i like that one too for sure all right john uh before we get to the surface let's take a quick break And we're back. So they make their way to the surface, and Bo-Katan explains to Grogu that he needs to lead her to Mando. Okay, kid, I'm going to need you to guide me to him. The okay kid line is like a, a through point through line through so many uh, Star Wars properties. The, the kid, referring to somebody as kid, yeah. uh, is a little thing. So I Han that, does that, that a lot, cute. doesn't he? Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, All right, kid, you're thing. clear. Yeah. And then it's like, you can find it in a bunch of other stuff, uh, but the, the the kid line, so.
2: Let's everybody be condescending. <laughs> Except Grogu actually is kind of a kid. I don't know. He's like 50 years old, right? Yeah. I guess he's still a kid. He can't talk yet.
1: No. Exactly. Well, he did he say his first word to, word to Pelimoto? I don't that, think that so. That we don't know. No, okay. we don't.
2: You know, you can, here's something I want to bet on. I think, uh-huh. I think Grogu's going to have to talk eventually, right? We're going to have to get him talk. Maybe not in The Mandalorian. Maybe they'll do another series where it's farther in the future and he can talk. But we're going to get Grogu eventually. Let's make a bet now. Does he speak with the weird cadence of Yoda, or is he normal like Yaddle? I think he has to
1: be... Or or do they make his own thing? Okay. Uh, His sort of baby cooing, you know, cat purr, whatever.
2: Cooing is not cute when you're 300 years old.
1: (laughs) Probably not. Um I'm in i I'm going to lean more towards Yaddle and and away from I think it would just be bad form to try to do Yoda.
2: Mm. Especially if he's growing up with Din, right?
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And is what's his first word? Din? Daddy? Mythosaur?
2: Yeah, Mythosaur. There you go. Good first <laughs> word.
1: Lots of ruin porn uh in these scenes with them flying down and and looking over the the civic center and it's just beautiful. I am I'm here for this uh this ruin porn scenescape stuff. It's, it's just, uh, it, it blows me away every time I, I saw one of those shots.
2: Katie Sackoff is also doing an excellent job with facial acting, because uh-huh. as she's going through the atmosphere and going into Mandalore, you can see hope grow in her eyes, right? Mm, you can see her yeah. face sort of push forward eagerly. And then when she sees the ruins, you see it drop, and you just see mm-hmm. her be filled with sadness.
1: She is a badass actor.
2: And it feels like, when you look at her, it's not someone trying to emote, it feels Mm -hmm. like someone who is trained to push down their emotions, who is trying Uh, to not show it on their face, but it's just there.
1: Right, because she's a, I mean, she's a princess, right? And she says later that, you know, she had to get up in front of everybody and say the Creed, and she did not embarrass her her father. So she's trained at uh, keeping herself, part of her emotions in check anyway. Right,
2: And she's a warrior, right? She's got to keep her cool Mm -hmm. in combat. But I think
1: Grogu is charming her. I, I think he's she is. he's definitely is. getting to her heart. Yeah. As they walk through, Bo reminisces about the beauty of Mandalore, and as they descend, Grogu's ears flap in the breeze. <laughs> Grogu gets nervous, and Bo encourages him to be brave.
2: Fear is a path to the dark side now, isn't it?
1: Well, except I've got ears, so I can just fly away when the dark side ever gets oh, near me. Oh, okay.
2: I don't okay. know, Fair just the
1: little flapping it was so cute there's a great shot here too when they're at the bottom with the uh, little egg pod and um, uh, Bo-Katan they're sort of facing each other and it's bathed in that green light but they're both in heavy silhouette and it's just gorgeous and it's very evocative of Darth Vader on uh, on uh, in the Cloud City you know and a and, uh, few other shots that it's just the really beautiful cinematography all throughout this episode.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I love um, Grogu's little flashlight on his pod.
2: <laughs> Everybody's got a little flashlight, right? They're, they're, yeah. They've got the gear.
1: Oh, you know, that's how, how very Mandalorian uh, uh, of Grogu to have his pod have a flashlight like uh,
2: that. Who made his new pod? That's the question.
1: I have no idea, but it, like I said, it needs some flames on the side.
2: I bet you Luke did it. Luke is pretty handy with the uh, mechanics. Oh,
1: sure. Or where's the Mudhorn, right? Because they're a a tribe of two. He needs a little Mudhorn symbol on there.
2: Ah, true.
1: On their way, Bo says she knew many Jedi in the past and explains that they used to be allies. She asks Grogu how good he is with the Force, and then she detects that they're being stalked by some Alamites. She strikes first and kicks ass. Grogu seems surprised, and she says Din isn't the only Mandalorian.
2: Pretty cool that her familiarity with Mandalore and with the people inhabiting Mandalore give her the upper hand that Din didn't have. It makes her expect the dangers that are there. Very useful. And she's a badass. Did I mention yeah. that she's a badass? Oh, she is. She is. You can be full of shit and still good at fighting. That's true.
1: Absolutely. And it may be actually be a benefit if you're full of shit to be good at fighting. Because <laughs> when people call you on your shit,
2: Absolutely. you can fight. And she has been called on her. I don't think she's been called on her shit enough. Let me make that clear. But there you go. she has been called on her shit before. I mean, you know, uh, I think in Clone Wars, she gets called on, you know, you, you were in the cult that led to your sister's death. I'm done. I'm done. That's the end of my bell ran.
1: <laughs> Back in its lair, the creature prepares to drain Din of his fluids. Bo and Grogu arrive, and Bo uses the Darksaber to kill the creature twice.
2: Now, this person knows how to use the (laughs) darksaber.
1: That thing is as light as a feather, as light as needle in her hands. She is swinging that thing around.
2: As much crap as I give Bo-Katan, she sure can wield that thing.
1: Yeah, I love that um, move where she slides underneath it and runs the saber along its belly as she she slides. That was just really cool.
2: The darksaber feels a lot more like a katana than the lightsabers, doesn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more of a slashing weapon uh, yeah. rather than a, a strike and parry.
2: Very cool. I love that they're starting to branch out. I mean, the Darksaber's been around a while. It's not brand new. But I love that they're starting to put more emphasis on the non-traditional lightsabers.
1: Hmm. The, the, um, the fight scenes with the amolytes and with this uh, whatever spider creature thing, the CGI to practical uh, effect stuff is so good. And these monster or this particular monster looked amazing with the, with the eye and the way that it could detach from the different sort of uh, skeletons, you know, from the uh, bipedal one to the spider one. Oh, I was so innovative, so interesting, such cool designs, really beautiful to look at, terrifying. Um, and I, so I just really appreciated the fact that they're doing some original – I mean, we can be inspired by whatever, but they gave us something that was new that I don't think we've seen before in Star Wars. So I really appreciated that. It, was, it made the whole final fight scene a lot more – the payoff was a, it was a lot bigger for me.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely agreed.
1: All right, as Mando recovers, they discuss the ruins of Mandalore, and Bo serves him pog soup. Din shares it with Grogu, and then goes to le- uh, he goes to leave to complete his quest. Bo offers to take him to the mines. Without the creed, what are we? What do we stand for?
2: I like that Bo kind of throws what he said to her when he first met her back then. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you, even Mandalorian? You haven't had pog soup. Whereas she goes, <laughs> you're not Mandalorian. You took off your nice. helmet.
1: Yeah, right. These little tit for tat things that don't really mean anything.
2: They will rule the galaxy together as husband and wife. That's really. That'll be interesting. That'll be interesting.
1: Um, I got a lot of feels from the scene, Um, and I loved Din getting all like heavy with about with the creed and our our people are scattered like stars in the sky. I love that his armor is filthy, and that's going to come into play later after he. Bathes in the living waters. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this whole scene worked on me really well. From the moment Din wakes up till um, Bo uh, offers, or wait, well, yeah, the moment that Mando wakes up to the moment that Bo offers to take him down to the mines. Yeah, it, uh, it it worked for me. I got lots of feels.
2: Very good scene.
1: On the way, Bo talks about the past of the planet, and we learn a bit more about the purge. As Bo laments the downfall of the Mandalorians, they arrive at the entrance of the mines. I won't call it Moria. Uh, We're (laughs) done with that. We're done. She talks about being a princess and her father, and Din honors her father's memory by saying,
2: this is the way. She was kind of left speechless by that. Totally. You know, he was questioning her Mm -hmm. Mandalorian-ness at some point, and then finally he respects her enough to say this is the way when she just describes her father.
1: Yeah, a real a real coming to and a real coming together moment there that they have something that they both can agree on that her father died for the cause of Mandalore and you know she loves her father and looks up to him and dins like I've never met him but yeah, that's the way. I respect that. Yeah. Beautiful shots in here again uh with the lighting and the darkness and Um, the way that, uh, Pedro Pascal read the line, this is the way, like had a lot of gravity to it.
2: Yeah, it did. People have been delivering that line so well since it started. I mean, the way (laughs) the armor has variety in that, this is the way. I mean, what a, what a line, what a use of a line of a single phrase.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. All right. They they arrive at the living waters and Bo reads the history plaque. Din sheds his weapons and jetpack and walks into the water, reciting the creed and drops like a stone into the deep water. Bo seals her helmet and jetpacks in after him.
2: I was actually pretty moved until he got pulled in. (laughs) I was in on it. I said, yeah, this is the way. Yeah. What did you think?
1: It was comedy. It was sheer comedy when he'd like, Bwah!
2: It was a little slapstick, <laughs> it draws, yeah. It. it was, totally. Yeah.
1: And there's some good slapstick in, in this. It it lightens the moment. It balances, because it was, the, the, as he's re- reciting the creed as he's walking in, and, and Bo is like, oh my God, I'm feeling moved as well. Yeah. Right? She was being affected. She was getting feels. And then <laughs> to lighten it, right, they, they drop him in the water, so...
2: Well, we know that she is not immune to propaganda, considering she was in a cult.
1: That's right. That's right. I think there are some people on the internets who were shaking their heads at the uh, jetpack under the water. But you know what? Like you said, John, what is it? It's a Saturday, Saturday morning, morning cartoon. cartoon.
2: Yeah. So. And that, that person is not a person who rhymes with Schmalin wall.
1: <laughs> no, not that person. Bo rescues Din at the bottom of the well, and as they rise up, Bo spies what can only be a mythosaur hiding deep in the waters.
2: Yeah. So what did you think of the mythosaur? Because I thought it looked awesome.
1: It looked amazing. It was very Cthulhu-like to me. I thought it was a deep one, you know, an old one. And it was like, oh my lord. And the way that the, when she's coming up with her helmet light and it's just shining on the eye, I was like, wow, that was, that was, really, that was really cool. I got nervous, too. I was like, get out of there, get out of there. Like, you know, what are you going to do? You can't fight the thing underwater.
2: Yeah. There's something about an underwater monster that just gets everybody, right? I mm-hmm. mean, even you go back as far as the Bible and Genesis, and you have these, and all the monsters underseas. And we never talk about that line, but it's just there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have, you have, like you said, Cthulhu and all the other Lovecraftian things. There's a, there's a line in A Night in the Lonesome o- October. That where they refer to all of the crazy monsters in Lovecraft as the unpronounceables. And I feel mm-hmm. like this is part of the unpronounceables, even though I can pronounce mythosaur. You know, this is just right. some crazy monster that's just out there and wild.
1: I, I don't even know that the word mythosaur fits this monster. This monster is so much bigger than the, this, you know. I've always thought the mythosaur is kind of a woolly mammoth-like thing. I didn't realize it was like a Cthulhu... Scale, you know, godlike
2: creature. You're going to need Jeff Goldblum for season four for Jurassic Park. <laughs>
1: That's right. Or uh, what's the other guy? What's the other Chris's name? Right? You know, with his palm. Chris Pratt. Oh. oh my God. Oh Painful. yeah. Painful. No, no. I don't want any. I don't want any of that Jurassic Park stuff around my Star. Me Wars. either. Uh, I love the fact that Din's armor is now clean. As he comes up out of the water, he's cleansed. He's been cleansed. So, what does he do? He's like, hey, uh, hey, Bo, can you snap me a, a picture of like standing in the water? And, like, you can do like, you know, like little peace signs and duck face, you know? Well, he can't take off his helmet, but he can do duck face under his helmet.
2: Okay, but how fun would it be if he says, oh, well, I had witnesses. I have this guy who can't talk, and I have Bo Katan who you hate.
1: Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that point. She's his witness for his. <laughs>
2: That's not going to go awesome. well with the armor, I don't think.
1: Who is your witness, Bo-Katan? Oh my God, <laughs> the armor is going to be—it's going to flip the f out. That is great. There's going to be a physical
2: that. fight. Yeah, that was awesome.
1: All right, that was the episode. Any any other thoughts or uh, or things you want to point out?
2: Loved it. My hype level is back up, and let's just keep having fun with this season. Let's go into it with our PJs on every time, and let's come out of it. With our sugar rush from the cereal.
1: As long as they keep delivering the visuals that they're doing and this badass acting, I am all in. I'm 100% in. This is so good. Cool. All right, we've got two pieces of feedback. Uh, A quick one from one of our lore masters, Bettina W., and she says, Oh my God, guys, I got to tell you, I've been enjoying your podcasting from the beginning, but uh, your and your and or coverage. Um, but ever since then, you've leveled up big time. You rose to the top of my TV podcasting list because John's surprise in the last episode was awesome. Made me so happy, uh, <laughs> laughing face, crying emoji. Happy to help. Um, yeah, that song was a, a good hit. That was a, a lot of
2: fun. Well, well, keep keep the feedback coming, and maybe we'll get another song in here. I don't know. Maybe Ooh, I'll feel inspired again.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, of course, our favorite Tolkien scholar, Marilyn R. Pakila, who is going to be with us for our new Earthsea Book Nook project, um, she's been watching along The Mandalorian. And she sent in that uh, Kali Kalivala is the name of the collection of Finnish epic tales and poems compiled in the 19th century. What she wants to know is, how in the world did a portion of Mandalore get named after a work at the heart of Finnish culture? Any ideas? I have no ideas. The same way we
2: have a Ben and a Luke. <laughs> you know, it's just sometimes <laughs> somebody form. rolls the dice and says, yeah, all right. Or, or sorry, rolls the chance cubes, according to right. but, uh And just comes up with some random name from our world. It just happens. The Mon Calamari. Really? We're mm-hmm. going to call them that?
1: <laughs> right. Calamari. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I just think that it's uh, a, a little bit of writer laziness. but Or maybe maybe somebody's a fan and they figure that only Marilyn Arpukila is going to pick up on is this Is going to find
1: out. I think uh, the thing to do, Marilyn, is to um, skim some of the topics of the Kalevala and to see if there's any surface-level linkages between the stories and these epic tales that parallel to the Mandalorian story um, that we know of or yet could be theorized for. That would be what would be interesting to see if the writers, um, if somebody in the writers' room knew about the, the Finnish Kalevala and said, oh, you know, we should you know, hook something into it. Or it could be just as simple as, hey, that's a badass name, let's use it.
2: I look forward to your academic paper on it, Marilyn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, John, it's time for our Patreon shout out. Um, we have a Patreon. Uh, our patrons are a big part of what we do. And we have three tiers, and our lore masters are our highest tier. And one of the benefits is you get a shout out uh, for that. Um, so we have 15 lore masters. It always blows us away every time we think about it. And they are Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., uh, Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., and newest lore master, Dork of the Ninjas.
2: Soon we're going to have more lore masters than we could carry in General Grievous' arms. (laughs) I don't know if that made sense, but I'm leaving it in.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, To our lore masters, thank you. To all of our patrons, thank you. Uh, We've said this many times before. We'll keep saying it. Your contributions and your support go directly to the material costs of supporting us to make these podcasts.
2: Yes, thank you so, so
1: much. um, It makes us feel really great when people show up and they say, hey, you guys do me a a valuable service, or you're entertaining, or I like what you do. Here's my appreciation to you in the support of a Patreon subscription. So if you're interested in supporting what we do, um, head over to patreon.com slash the lorehounds. And if you're just enjoying the podcast and want to listen to the ad free versions too, that's awesome as well because we pay attention to our downloads and um, it's really important to us that we're putting out good product and we're creating a fun community. Anyway, um, another little thing that we've been doing is uh, looking at some of the countries where we're being listened to. And today's country of note is Sweden, who is 1.1% of our listening audience. So if you're in Sweden and you're listening to us, Thank you very much. Drop us a note. Say hello. Uh, let us know how the show is uh, being received in your neck of the woods. I've spent some time in, in ta- Stockholm. I actually have relatives in Sweden, a living relatives in Sweden. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place.
2: Here is my question to the Swedes. How do you say lorehound in Swedish? Ooh, right yes,
1: in. right in. Absolutely. All right, John, March is March Madness for the Lorehounds. We have a lot. So I think we're going to have to split this up a little bit. I'll read a few of these and then I'm going to take a break and let you finish this off. Sounds good. The Last of Us, the uh, final episode is next week. We're very much looking forward to it. It has been an amazing season. We're going to have a season wrap up podcast, and that's going to drop on Monday, the 21st. So get your feedback into us now or after the final. Uh, If you've got bigger thoughts that you can send in now, send them in now so we can start compiling everything and and putting the episode together. That's going to be t-l-o-u at thelorehounds.com or head over to thelorehounds.com and use uh, the contact form or the voicemail feature to send us a note. We have a new project that John and our friend Brandon the Bard are doing, and it's called Lorehounds Play. And uh, Every once in a while, they're going to get together. And they're going to talk about video games and specifically a lot of the story-driven video games. So they're going to analyze the games kind of like we do with the television shows and take them apart and look at them, examine them, um, send, you know, uh, take some feedback from people who, who like those. So the first one they're going to do is going to be the game, The Last of Us Part 1, and that's going to drop towards the end of the month. Um, John, anything you want to say about that episode?
2: Oh, it's, it went way long and now we're doing a two-parter. We're doing two oh, wow. episodes Okay. On. So there's still time to get in your feedback. I think another, about a week you're going to have to get in your feedback before we record the second episode. So definitely get that in right away. Play at thelorehounds.com.
1: Awesome. Uh, Mandalorian season three, we're covering every episode like we just did. And uh, episodes will be out usually uh, Thursday-ish at some time. Um. Bad Batch is going to be wrapping up soon, and the new, uh, episode, or the new season of Visions, Season 2, is also going to be dropping soon, and we're going to be talking about both of those. Probably not about s- uh, Visions Season 2, but s- uh, Season 1, which I've been watching and uh, has been really interesting. But Badge- Bad Batch is going places this season, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about it. There's a lot going on there. Very cool. John, do you want to talk about Ted Lasso?
2: I believe in Ted Lasso and you, should too. <laughs> and you should join us every single week to talk about this heartwarming dramedy MC universe just dropped this past Monday. You and John had a great conversation. I listened to the whole thing because I edited it and mm-hmm. it was riveting. <laughs> I don't even like the MCU that much. And I thought it was, no, you don't. So <laughs> uh, you should definitely, if you have any interest in the Marvel stuff, take a listen. Second Breakfast is coming out this Sunday. We already recorded most of it. Right after we hang up here, we're going to start recording our Mad Max uh, review, which is something that I will not promise any positivity on, but (laughs) will exist. And then we're going to present our next month uh, movie challenge that I'll be giving David. We're also talking about coffee. So if you want to chat about caffeine, you head on over to the Patreon. That's our Patreon exclusive podcast. You might have heard a promo at the beginning of this podcast for Marilyn Arpukila on the Earthsea Project. We're covering the Earthsea cycle with her, having a lot of fun. Book at thelorehounds.com if you want feedback for that. Silmarillion Stories is coming out this month, later in the month. We are covering Of the Coming of Elves and the Captivity of Melkor. Next month, we're going to have Mary Clay from That's What I'm Talking About, to talk about Of Thingol and Melian. And in June, we have Maester Anthony coming for Of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor. You might have heard us on his podcast, Electric Bukaloo, where, they, where he covers uh, a chapter of the Game of Thrones, the A Song of Ice and Fire series every single week. Right now, he's going through A Clash of Kings, which is the second book. We were on it before we covered a Theon chapter. We're covering an Arya chapter in April, probably around the 13th. And we're recording that soon. We're excited to do it.
1: All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Mandalorian podcast. Remember to check us out on Patreon. Subscribe today for early and ad-free access and uh, support us with production. Um, If you want to chat with us sooner, check us out on our Discord or drop us an email or use the contact page on our website. As always,
2: like, rate, and review. Thanks, everyone. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by the Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities.